Father, we thank you that you have brought us to this day. We thank you for this past week, first week of school, first week of returning to some kind of schedule, some kind of normality. Lord, we thank you that you have been with us. We thank you, Lord, that you have brought us over the long period where we have been home with family. Our attention has been redirected now, Lord, and we thank you for that. We thank you, Lord, for, for even those of us who in this week are receiving our matric results. We thank you, Lord, that even your hand of blessing has been upon those who could have finished and completed that milestone in their lives. We worship you, Father. We thank you for this evening, for this time that we could come together to worship you, to praise you. We long to see you high and lifted up. We thank you, Lord, for those of us who could have come this evening for the first time after a while. And Lord, we ask that you would come and meet with us. Come and touch us anew, afresh this evening. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So good evening, guys. So nice to see some of you who we haven't seen in a while. Um, it's great to see you guys. Um, and it's awesome. I hope you guys have been able to track with some of what we've been doing. So we've been moving through the series on worship. Last week, we looked at worship and witness. And this evening, we're going to unpack another aspect of worship. And I trust that what we look at this evening will edify us will help us to grow and to gain a deeper understanding of what worship is about. So today we're going to be looking at an aspect of worship that I'm sure we've heard mentioned a number of times during our walk. It's an aspect about worship that Jesus himself personally actually teaches. But he teaches it through the life of someone that he encounters on a path somewhere. Now, as we're going to look at the story, when I, when I read through this story, one of the things that stands out to me is the fact that worship has to do with real life. Worship is not an imaginary pause in a week of reality. Worship has to do with real life issues. Real life issues like school, friends, adultery, hunger, Submission, it has to do with racial conflict and a whole range of other things that are intertwined in our lives as we have God in the midst of our lives. Worship, I think and I believe, touches us in more ways than we sometimes realize. And so we're going to be reading um, from, a, from a book that we know well, the book of John. And uh, I think it's quite a well-known story. Um, the story of the Samaritan woman, and we're going to be reading from chapter 4. Grant, you can throw up that slide, thanks. We'll read 26 verses of chapter 4, and this is what it sounds like. Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, although in fact it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was, 
from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about, it was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? Because his disciples had gone into the town to buy food. And the Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who has given us this well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Verse 13, Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say that you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know. For salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. We'll stop there at verse 26. What does it mean to worship God in spirit and truth? We'll unpack that and see what that means. Now, when we think back to last year and some of the things that stood out to us about last year, besides COVID, of course, then I think one of the most prominent things about last year that stood out to us was fake news. It was one of last year's biggest buzzwords, one of last year's biggest buzz terms. We saw it all over our televisions. We saw it in the newspaper. We saw it on the internet. It was being shared on social media. And we even heard news that was considered to be fake news straight from the offices of high officials. And you know what? If you didn't agree with the news that you heard, 
all that you needed to do was to call it fake news. Fake news seemed to permeate so many aspects of what we were interpreting and what we were having to deal with during last year. And I think the problem is that there is so much information being spread around with the speed and the volume of communication that the public no longer knows or knew what to believe. There was just so much info coming at us so quickly that we didn't know what to believe. And this even continues now with, this con with the conspiracy theories around the vaccine and the rollout of the vaccine. I think the line between what's true and what's false has blurred a little bit, making it more important than ever to verify the authenticity of the information that is being shared. And so then we also saw the need now for fact-checking. And there's been this rise in, in um, groups who do fact-checking for us. In this story that we just read now in John chapter 4, we see Jesus helping this Samaritan woman by fact-checking the information that she had actually based her life on. And I think the bottom line of what Jesus was saying is that God is looking for genuine worshipers, not fake worshipers. And so in the story, we see that Jesus is on his way from Judea to Galilee, and this section of country that he was traveling through is actually in modern-day West Bank. And Jesus really wanted to avoid the Pharisees because he knew that they were after him, as we saw there. And so on he, he's on his way to Galilee, and the road um, with him, on the road with him, are his disciples. And they go past, they need to go past this town called Samaria, and there's this little village called Sychar. They get to this village, Sychar, and Jesus sends the disciples who are with him, he sends them ahead to go and buy food. And Jesus is seated at this, at this well. And he's tired from this journey. The journey is probably about 150 kilometers. So it would have been more than one day's journey from where he was going to where he was going. Where he was coming to where he was going. He sits down next to this well where the village people, these um, Sychar village people, would have gotten their water from. And this woman comes. And she comes at an unusual time of day to collect water. She is understood to be what some might call a loose woman of ill repute. And we aren't told in the text what led to her becoming like that. But this is what is deduced from the way Scripture describes her. And so this woman came at this time so that she could avoid the other women. It appears that she struggled with shame. She struggled with embarrassment, which was evident by the time of day that she came to the well. In biblical times, as still today in some places, the well was the gathering place for the women of the town to share the latest news. And so this would have been a place where Many women would have gathered, but here this woman comes 
and she's alone and it's in the middle of the day, the hottest part of the day, probably to avoid the accusing looks and the harsh words of the others. And so Jesus asks her for a drink. There were no taps, there wouldn't have been pumps, and the well would probably just have been a hole in the ground. And if you didn't have a container with which to draw water with, you needed to ask someone who did have one, and this is what Jesus does. And then Jesus has a time of interaction with this woman where he reveals to her prophetically how much he knows about her life. The fact that she had five husbands and she was now living with a boyfriend who wasn't her husband. I'm sure that for this woman, with each relationship she must have thought, this is it. This is the one who's going to quench my thirst. This is the one who's going to bring me satisfaction and fulfillment. She would have thought, finally, I found the man who can do that for me. Five of them had come and five of them had gone. And she'd given up on the institution of marriage altogether. And so she possibly just thought, you know what? I'll just enjoy the fringe benefits by just living in this relationship that looks like marriage, but it's not. But I won't get married. And so this conversation with Jesus, between Jesus and this woman carries on. And in verse 19, the woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. And she continues, Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, and she would probably have pointed at the mountain. And the mountain she would have been referring to would have been Mount Gerasim. And you Jews say that, she says to Jesus, in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. Jesus said to a woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor on the mountain in Jerusalem will you worship God. You worship what you do not know. We know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews. And then Jesus says, but the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth, as we read earlier. This woman in this conversation with Jesus, she was making the issue about geography. She was making it about the place where they were at. Mount Gerasim in Samaria or Mount Zion in Jerusalem. She was saying, our temple or your temple to Jesus. My church here or your church there, she was saying. And Jesus responds to this woman, you know what? Geography is irrelevant. The particulars of where you worship God is not important. What is most important is that you do worship God, and when you do worship God, that you worship him in spirit and truth. And that is, for worship to be authentic worship, true worship, it has to be two things. Firstly, it has to be truthful. 
It has to be honest. And then it has to be credible. It has to be genuine in spirit. That is, it's authentic, it's real, it's not fake. It's from the spirit. Now, the spirit that Jesus is talking about there isn't the Holy Spirit. If you notice in your Bibles when you read that, it's not written with a capital S, it's written with a small s. That's because in spirit refers not to the Holy Spirit, but to your spirit and to my spirit. So it's a reference to the human spirit, not the Holy Spirit, which means this. You and I are tripartite beings. There are three distinct parts to us. There's body, there's soul, and there's spirit. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 23, Paul greets the church in Thessalonica by saying, May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so Jesus is saying, your spirit has to be touched. Your spirit has to be engaged in worship. It has to come from the core of you. It has to be real. It has to be authentic. It must come from the deepest part of you when you are worshiping God. And that's the idea of worshiping in spirit. You see, a person can worship on a physical level and on an emotional level, but still not really be worshiping God in the way that Jesus is describing here. They can get all emotional and all hyped up and if we saw that, we would probably say, oh, look, they're being so emotional in their worship. Or even physically, people could be bowing down, their hands could be raised, they could be standing up when everyone else is seated. And all of that is good and all of that is proper, but you can do all of that. And you could just still be going through the motions that you think you have to be going through without truthfully engaging your spirit. Jesus said to the Pharisees in Mark chapter 7 and verse 6, verse 6, Pharisees, mind you, who were supposed to be the spiritual leaders of people of that time, Jesus said to them, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, saying these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. In vain do they worship me teaching as doctrine the commandments of men. So even if you go through the motions and everything looks like you're doing it right, you can still be fake. Worship has to be based on truth in spirit, is what Jesus is saying. Real worship is more than sincerity or being earnest. So here's the Samaritan woman. And she's worshipping at a different temple with a different worship system. And she was worshipping sincerely, judging by this conversation that she's having with Jesus. But Jesus helps her by fact-checking and saying to her that she was sincerely wrong. So worship has to be based on truth, on knowledge, not artificial truth if I could use that word. 
And then we look at verse 22, and Jesus says, You worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is of the Jews. You see, the Samaritan people, they had only the first five books of Moses. They called it the Samaritan Pentateuch. So their Bible, the Samaritan Bible, was only Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And that's the only scripture that they believed. The rest of the prophets that we know are in the Old Testament, the rest of the writings, they didn't believe that. They didn't follow any of that. And so they did not have the full and the complete revelation of Scripture, which was what the Old Testament was even at that time. And so for the Samaritans, it was an incomplete knowledge. And the Scripture that they have, the first five books of Moses, they also even twisted some of the stories out of those original books. And there's an example here that Jesus actually points out. Because you see, we know that in the story of Abraham and when he, sac- when he was about to sacrifice his son, that happened on Mount Zion as it's recorded in Genesis. Or Mount Moriah as it's also called. Down in Jerusalem where the temple stood. But the Samaritans, they changed the story. They said that it wasn't Mount Moriah, it was the mountain there by them, it was Mount Gerasim. And that he sacrificed, he almost sacrificed his son there. So you see, failure to worship God authentically can always be traced back to an inadequate knowledge of God. And so that's why sincerity isn't enough. Because you can be sincerely wrong. Worship has to be in spirit and in truth. Worship has to be truthful and sound. It has to be based on the unbiased truth of Scripture. And this is why I think that at the very heart of our worship must also be a very deep desire to know God better. And so this is why reading your Bible and study and prayer is of importance. And it has to be there. Because if it's not there, you could just have all sorts of sincere thoughts about all sorts of wrong things. And you could walk away feeling really great, but be on the wrong path. And so this is why Jesus emphasized here to this woman that our worship has to be based on spirit, but also on truth. As we conclude, nearly all of us, I think, have similarities with this Samaritan woman. I think many of us are weary, are tired from the countless times when we have been rejected like this woman has been rejected. And so we may also have even found ourselves hiding in certain areas because of shame. Thirsty for living water. Oftentimes we would come to the well of religion, the well of an empty relationship, the well of work and striving in the heat of the day, 
hoping that others won't see or recognize us. And so we would come with our water jug to get the water that we thirst for. And so I think like the Samaritan woman, some of us are thirsty. And I think the season that we find ourselves in right now actually makes that thirst for us even more desperate. Some of us may be looking for our religious system to fill us, to carry us. But it is only an encounter with the Messiah that can satisfy. And not just any Messiah. The one that we meet is also weary. Our Messiah is also tired. You see, Jesus is the one who's able to identify with us in our weakness, and he meets us at the hour of our need in the same way that he met that woman in the hour of her need. And so perhaps like the Samaritan woman, we need only acknowledge our place of brokenness, that place where we are attempting to find satisfaction and meet the Savior there. Let's pray. Let's bow our heads. While we are praying, I want you just to, to close your eyes and to think for a moment. To think about the Samaritan woman inside of you, if you would. Think about where you are at now in this season. You may be feeling thirsty. You may be needing to avoid people. I think this story reminds us that Jesus has paused to wait on us, to give us living water. I want you to take the moment, take the time right now, to let him give you his living water today. As you and I move to worship him in spirit and in truth. Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you that you are a God who is able to identify with us even in our weakness and that you meet us at the hour of our need. Even during the season where some of us may be struggling to worship, to find the energy and the impetus just to, to be there, to move. Father, I ask that you would come and refresh us. Come and renew us, refresh us with your living water in the way that you refreshed the water for that woman. Come and touch us even now where we are, even if we are at home in our homes watching this later. We eagerly desire to see and to have your kingdom come here on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.